Hello, welcome. This is Janice Alpert with On Purpose, a podcast to try to help people who are wondering, what is my purpose? Can I do it on purpose? We interview very interesting and inspiring guests. Today is no difference. Today we have Eric Klein, and he's going to share a little bit about himself. Hi, Eric. Hello, how are you? I'm so happy to be here. So happy to have you. This is so nice. Thank you. We always appreciate um, our guests coming to offer some words of wisdom to our listeners. Um, So I, as I said a little bit before we went on, I don't really know that much about you. So can you tell me a little bit about like where'd you grow up and a little bit about your family life? Sure. Personal history. And I think that's a good, one of the important themes as we look at this question of purpose. Mm-hmm. So I de- I grew up in New York City and I um, grew up in a sort of intelligentsia, artistic, upwardly entrepreneurial family. Oh, okay. In New York City. And um, what did your, uh, if I may ask, what did your parents yeah. do that was entrepreneurish or entrepreneurial? My grandparents, well, my grandparents started it. They, they, but it, they started a millinery store, uh, wholesale and retail. Wow. In the Marmot District in New York after they, you know, they were immigrants and uh-huh. they built up quite a big business. My dad was a, um, on Wall Street. So okay. there's an element of entrepreneurship in that in the regards of, you know, you eat what you kill, so to speak. He had to make his own money, you know, within the context of being a, a broker. And he was extremely successful and had many famous, you know, clients who were his investors. My mother was an artist. Oh, so that's okay. the other side of my uh, genetic inheritance. She was mm-hmm. a painter and uh, took me to museums in New York City when I was in the stroller. She tells the story. <laughs> so you're really very... in front of the, uh, you know, important paintings at the Met or at the modern. Modern was just, in existence. I'm laughing. I'm, ja- I'm laughing because I was just in New York City. I, I don't know how this keeps coming up almost every podcast. I, I'm, I'm always plugging my niece's play. So my niece is a playwright. And the play is on Broadway right now. It's called The Cottage, um, directed by Jason Alexander and starring Eric McCormick and some other great people. And so I took my granddaughter and we were just at the Museum of Modern Art looking at very modern art things. And I mean, we did other things, but we were there. So I'm I'm picturing you as a little baby in one of these museums. Um, So you got culture at a very young age. Yes. And so that that's sort of the family background. Jewish, secular, uh, politically uh, active, and and in that context, there was many things that resonated for me. One of the things that chance, didn't, yeah. that wasn't as available in that context was the um, the inward journey of spiritual awakening. Okay, I didn't have that language as a child, but I had that feeling. Oh, really? Because uh, I'm not yeah. sure any of us had that language, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, even now, I think it's just still a very new language. But you but you at a young age had a feeling about it, like there's something more here. Yes. I okay. can remember what? being, I can remember when I was about four. Wow. When, like what was happened? the, what Well, two, two experiences, because we would spend the summer at a place called Fire Island, which is in the Times today, but it's the, it's just a barrier island that off the coast of Long Island that protects and no cars, very, very pristine. And I just remember, I remember running down the dunes and into the ocean as a, as a four year old and this completely expansive sense of my body being 
boundless and the joy, oh. the joy of that. And I re it really imprinted itself on me like, this is something. And later in the same year, at the same summer, being in the, the rose garden that was around our cottage mm -hmm. and just being absolutely absorbed in the, uh, the beauty that just seemed to go inward forever of the roses. Okay. The, yeah. First of all, I just have to share this. Okay. Mm. So my listeners know that I'm all into, you know, coincidences that aren't really coincidences. Mm -hmm. So this is just a sidebar. So I've been seeing this spiritual advisor myself for probably 35 years. And, and I, each time I see her once a year, I go, I don't even know why I'm seeing her. I feel like I'm there. I happen to see her this week. And, I, and, and when I'm looking at the appointment, I'm going, I don't know. But whatever. I always feel I get something out of it. And what's the theme that she says she hears from my guides? It's all about roses. I'm not kidding you. And how I have to have more roses in my life. I have roses right now on my kitchen table because nice. of this. And that, and she goes through how each color of rose has a different meaning in my particular life. And now you're talking about roses. So I don't know what it means, but I'm going to go with it as just a message. Listeners, open up your ears and heart and you just never know when a message is going to come your way. But go ahead. So you were in the rose garden. I just thought that was so like that. that is an example. So there was always a sense. I had a sense as a young child of that. Yes. There was a deeper uh, conversation that was possible with life. Okay. A deeper a deeper connection that was possible. And that did inform uh, much of my adolescent years in New York, wandering through the bookstores of the city, and, as well as the art museums, mm -hmm. looking for some kind of uh, wisdom, some kind of guidance. And so I'm just cu curious, because yeah. that's really unusual. One, I don't not know. to be rude for a guy, whatever, so, so young. Uh -huh. Did you have any siblings? I did. I had two two younger siblings. Okay. I was the eldest. Okay. And were they, I mean, if you, if you, I don't know if you would ever, like if I ever brought any of this stuff with, the, with my, well, I didn't really have that kind of feeling at that young, other than when I was about six years old, I remember looking in the mirror going, talking about family dynamics. I don't think I'm going to get what I need for my mom uh, mm. or my dad. So I'm going to have to learn how to take care of myself. So I have that as a very clear sure clear memory in my head. So I think when I look back now, I think there was a message from something deeper, like they're, they mean well, but this, this is just not going to work really well. You're going to have to take care. And I, which of course I laugh now, that's exactly what I've done my whole life. Besides take care of myself. I'm a therapist. I take care of my, you know, besides my kids, my grandkids now, my clients, I'm a, I'm a healer, I'm a caretaker. So, but I think that was the beginning. Um, I think so. That's... But if I had brought up any of this with my family, they would have gone, even even as I did as an adult, they thought I was like a little whack, so did, wacky. So did you, were you able to share any of this, these feelings with your family or? Well, I, I shared it with my family as I got into being about 16 when I found a, um, well, because I found there was a yoga center. There was only two in New York City at the time and I found this okay. yoga center. So that was a, uh, you know, I'm going to the yoga center. So it was just part of the conversation. <laughs> it wasn't something that, that was either um, questioned or embraced. It was just, uh, it was a fact. It's like if you were taking tennis lessons, you're going it would to be like that. They didn't quite know. Although when I decided, told them I wasn't going to go to college because I wanted to find an ashram, that got their attention a little uh, more directly. Yes. Let me just say this. Yeah. I am, well, I am also Jewish. And if I had told my parents I wasn't going to college or either yeah. of my siblings, that would not have gone well. That it didn't was, go over well. I can I'll only. Say. 
I can, and let alone if I said I was going to an ashram, they first of all, they would go, what the heck is that? Yeah. And so they weren't, too, they were like, really, Eric, that's what you're going to do? Okay. So where, like, did you go to India? Like, where was? Well, I never did go to India, actually. Oh. I, I, um, I did an agreement where I said I would, I would go apply to college and I'd have a delayed entrance for a year. Okay. So okay. I could go do that. That was the negotiation. Okay, you placated and you figured out a way. Like it. Go ahead. I flew to Boulder, Colorado, where a friend of mine who from the same uh, school was also taking a year between um, high school and college and met him there. And um, on the first- what? Just so yeah. Yeah, not to interrupt again, I was just in Boulder as well. So I'm not sure what's happening here. I love Boulder, but go ahead. I love Colorado in general, but go ahead. So you, that's where the ashram was in Boulder? Well, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was oh. just going there. So you to, you were taking a leap I, and you were like 18. Uh, I was, I had just turned 18. Yeah. That's I, huge. All right, go ahead. And um, one of the books that I'd read while I was on this journey in 16 to 17 year old was uh, a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. It's a very, it's sold many, many millions of copies around the world since the thirties. It's a very oh. famous book in that regard. And okay. it was, it was a book by a guy named Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote a, um, who taught a, a program called Kriya Yoga. It's a particular kind of meditation practice. Okay. And it, was, it really struck me and it was, I was very interested in it. And when I arrived in Boulder and my friend and I went out for a meal, um, there was these, at that time, which was 1971, there was something called the free university. It was an alternative university. It was free. And really? yeah, and you would just donation to this teachers. They had a little newspaper of their programs and and I and I opened it and that night there was a, a teaching and a lecture and a course on Kriya Yoga. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. That's what I've been curious about mm -hmm. ever since I read the book. So I went to that class that night. And uh, the teacher was a young man, seemed old to me at the time. <laughs> he was probably tw 27 or something. Very old, very old. Yeah. Was that for a college credit or? No, no. It's always Just... all community and uh, okay. self-development kind of oriented. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. Just and Thinking of your parents and mine. Go ahead. <laughs> the, uh, anyway, Kriya Yoga. And he gave a lecture on it. And it was so, to me, it was so profound and so uh presenting a model of, of our soul and of our consciousness and of our life mm -hmm. that um, I found, I said, I'm so glad that this is it. This is my way. This is your path. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll sort of fast forward because there are many events, but essentially I moved into a house where people were doing this. And then I, uh, his teacher was a became my teacher who lived in Chicago. I visited there and I was like, I'm moving here. Am I? So, you know, I live in Chicago. Just FYI. I don't know that. Okay. Okay. I, for my whole entire life. So you were, where'd you stay in Chicago? If I may ask. Oh, first Evanston. And then so the minutes, near, 10 minutes for me. Go ahead. The, all the near North side. You know, okay. That, that area. I love Evanston. It's right on the lake. Yep. And so earthy. I can see that. My wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time, also was studying at the house. We moved together and, you know, we've been together since 50 years now. And oh. doing, doing this practice together has been part wow. of our 
a very important part of our life. And so in terms of purpose, though, I'm going to see if I can reconnect this to uh, the, the focus of the show. Okay. I know I can because... First of all, are we just... Love, my whole thing is I love hearing a person's story. So okay. don't, don't be... Just share your... Yeah. So, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, the so. story is... So this is a good example of this... You know, there was a very, uh, there was a tension in my uh, my upbringing and in my heart, a tension between pursuing um, this awakening inner journey yeah. and, and achieving uh, success, which was a very important value in my family and making an impact in the world. Yes. Preaching so, to the... Preaching to the choir, I understand totally. And I didn't, you know, at the time, it was just a tension for me for many years, actually. When I was a teenager, it was a tension. Through my 20s, it was still a tension as I went. I went to university, and I, but I, I couldn't find the way. I kept, how do I find the way to uh, integrate these two calls, really? Uh-huh. I love that you're sharing this because I think this is so much of every human being's struggle, no matter what their family dynamic is. It's like I, 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 if you're a searcher, then you have that feeling like I have to go do something that's probably outside what maybe my family expects or what even the norms might be. And how do we I love the he's he's kind of trying to put his hands together just visually. And I think that's a great visualization. Like, how do we intertwine you know, yeah. in a place of peace as well. Um, yeah. How do we do that? So that's that that struggle is so. I I, I had it. My we, anyone that's on this path, we all have it. That doesn't mean we still don't follow the path. So how did not you- at all? And I think you know there are different stages of um, of understanding what it means to bring these things together, mm-hmm. to bring these apparent tensions. I'll call them together. They're, I love that too, because that's what it is. It's apparent. It's not really yeah. real, but we feel like it's real. And then you can explain more. Go ahead. At the time, it seemed like an either or for me. Yes. In the, in the, I, I can go on the inner journey or I can, or, uh, or I can sort of follow a, a, a quite well-defined path. That I can was, go to college and go to Wall Street and make a gazillion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> or be an artist or be a... Or go in the half business. Yeah. That kind of thing. So, so I chose the inner journey. I prioritized that. Okay. Now, many decades later, I'm extremely happy that I did. Sounds like it. You look happy. So, okay. Yeah. The reason I'm happy is because when we find an, I'll say it this way, when we find an authentic path, one of the teachings, the way my teacher said it is, your earth life is your spiritual life. Yep. It's waking up, waking up in into your life, mm-hmm. not waking up away from your the uh, what you imagine the demands of the world are. Now the world is crazy. All cultures are crazy. Yeah. All families are crazy in their yes, own it, special way. Every but one of them. It's fine. We are born into the family that. Uh, Let's put it this way. If we want to learn patience, there's two kinds of families we can be born into. 
One is an extremely patient family yes. that will model patience for us. The other is an extremely impatient, annoying, chaotic family. I, I'm going to say as a therapist, most of my people are born into the latter. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's 95%. Okay. I don't know any. I don't know anybody that's, I don't know anybody. I mean, in, in all my life, then it's like, sure. oh, everything is patient. Everything is beautiful. Everything is wonderful. First of all, oh, I don't even believe that. What is that? I no, mean, it's not, it's, not even talk about not authentic. It's not even real. Like it says in the, this is book, my favorite spiritual text is called the Bhagavad Gita. And there's a chapter, there's a verse in the Gita that says, if you do a lot of practice with Lala, he goes, you might be born into the family of yogis. But then the line says, but that's extremely rare. Don't count, <laughs> don't count on that. Do okay. your own practice, do your own practice. So <clears throat> symbolically, my father was extremely oriented towards Wall Street and, and that's a truth, but it was also a symbol. And then my mother was, uh, was a creative, yes. uh, you know, independent, free-thinking artist. Mm -hmm. That was true and a symbol of two parts of my own psyche that were seeking, honestly, to bring those, not to bring the Sydney and Rosalind together. Yeah. Maybe as a child, that's the imagination. Right. But really to bring the, those inner, that inner conversation together inside okay. of myself. Okay. And meditation, spirituality is about, it's about creating real music with, your, with all those voices. Mm -hmm. Real music, not just singing one note not just singing all boring harmony, like real music has dynamics to it. Exactly. It has tensions, it has rises and falls. And that is what produces the impact when we listen to beautiful music. And if we can find the way, and we can find the way uh, of, I'm calling it harmony, but I don't want it to be heard as some kind of like uh, constant speaking in a yogic voice. <laughs> symbolism. It's really more about finding the ways that these inner tensions need to learn to be, be conducted by a larger consciousness. Loves a metaphor. Cell, which music and conductor. Cell. Yes, exactly. So here's the thing that I, what I have found so far in doing this for two and a half years is I continue meeting interesting folks like yourself. Um, and even for my own clients, I say, look, my feet are on the ground. Our life is here on earth, so we have to figure this out here, but our soul's journey and what we're going to do with it, that you do have, in my opinion, you do have to go inward, but it's not black or white. We're here on earth to have an earthly experience, so yeah. we're supposed to learn and grow and figure it out. And that part of that is we all, whether you're listening to it or not, I know we all have an inner voice and an inner guidance system that is there trying to move us along and like you said, mesh together, whatever the tensions are in our life to say, okay, I'm committed to doing what I'm supposed to be doing. All right. So I just want to go back to how you intertwined all this. Um, so you were in, so you're in, now you're in Chicago, you're doing your yogi. Uh, people are going to wonder, or I'm wondering, how'd you make any money? Because sure. that's a lot, a lot of, you know, I, I have clients that like, the, they hate their job, they hate their career, but sure. how am I going to continue my lifestyle? How am I going to turn, how am I going to monetize this? So let's hear about that a little bit yeah. if you care to share. Absolutely. I'm happy to. Thank you. Uh, I, I engaged in a series of entrepreneurial experiments. That's the best ah. way to say it. Okay. So as an, art, as an artist, I start with a, with a friend who 
I, I don't even remember how I met him, but we met serendipitously and we started a greeting card company. Oh. Because we both loved art and we both oh. wanted to make money. Yeah. So that was it. We started a greeting card company and, you know, developed it and had distributors all over the United States and Canada. Is this while you were in Chicago or? Yeah, this while I'm in Chicago. Okay. So, you know, part of it was I, I designed it. We didn't have this language at the time of a side hustle. I, I was in school. I had my wife. We had a relationship. I was going and studying with my teacher. And this is something I did to, as part of, part of supporting us. Okay. okay. And I did that for many, many years. It wasn't quite right for me because it was, it ended, you know, the art part of it was probably maybe 8%. Okay. And the business part of it was the, the rest of it. Right. And that okay. wasn't quite the right balance for me at all. Okay. Not a good balance. So you knew that. Okay. I discussed, uh, my partner Rhett was reading a book at the time <clears throat> called um, Structure of Magic, Neurolinguistic Programming, Volume One. Oh, okay. and, and it was, he said, I think this is a book for you. This is a book that talks about the underlying structure of all these therapeutic modalities. Okay. Even he said, I think even you could apply it to meditation and create yoga. Okay. So I read the book and I, and that very weekend, which was a, uh, coming up on, on my birthday, there was going to be a workshop out in, um, South Haven, Michigan on the lake on the other side of Chicago. Sure. I've been there. Beautiful. So I went to this retreat, uh, or this workshop on, actually it was on, Ericksonian hypnosis. Oh, okay. Form I studied of, that a little bit in yeah. the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. Sponsored by the Midwest Institute of NLP. And at that retreat, I had a very deep, I was, this is beautiful. This is it. For, this, is, this is the next step for me, okay. which is there's a, there's a way to uh, communicate what I saw, what, that there could be a way to translate the sacred wisdom, I'll call it, of the Kriya Yoga lineage into forms that would be applicable to regular people. To, every, to everyday folks. So, and also at that retreat, these, the, the, the uh, conveners, the sponsors approached me for some unknown reason and said, would, would you be interested in a job with us um, running our go. marketing department? Oh. Uh, so I said, yes, <laughs> as long as I can come to all the programs as part of my job. Right. So, so, so it was a three-year three uh, experience of basically going to hundreds of days of training programs and these kinds of personal growth modalities. And, okay. and then my wife and I said, we're, we're tired of the Midwest. So we moved to Chicago, uh, moved from Chicago to California. And, um, and I used that background to, um, so essentially, just important to say, I was a hippie entrepreneur. I got who, it. Who did personal growth training, marketing, and I ended up getting a job within the first two months out here uh, at a Fortune 100 company doing leadership development for that. Okay. You, you got to kind of love it. You got to kind of love it. Okay. But, but meanwhile, you needed a job. And yeah. So, and you were, so, but you could use what you had just learned over the last, whatever it was, five, 10 years of studying this in this new job. Totally. And it paid the bills. More so. Yeah. More than paid the bills. It was a very good, 
that was what I call my graduate school. Okay. I was I was there for all I was there for two years in this very engineering military <laughs> straight environment. Okay. But it was so good, such a beautiful opportunity to really explore because everyone there, I'll say it, just like you said, everyone there, while the was struggling to find their themselves in that work. Mm-hmm. They were trying to find fulfillment okay. and and success, and then and they were having, they had to sacrifice often their own sense of integrity. How many times? Yeah. How, how much are we seeing that in our world today on all it's, levels? It's just amplified. It's really just amplified. The culture at that time was basically, you know, suck it up and just stay with and it. deal. Totally yeah. suck it up and deal. But my my work there became uh, an inquiry into. Into the question of here, you, wherever you are, there. wherever you are at this moment, how can you manifest your core values? How can you express your gifts? Mm-hmm. And how can you make a, a genuine and caring impact on the world that you're in, which is the world of, of the room you're in, not some abstraction? Okay. Exactly. So, and the was, relationships you're in, of course, to have, especially the one with yourself, which is numero uno. Go ahead. Yeah. So I learned and I had some, you know, we were all sort of captured together. They, they didn't have a lot of options because I was the, in the leadership development department. So to it was get a there, yeah. And I had to, of course, listen deeply to their needs and their desires and their capacity to accept the kind of language that I had been inculcated in. Mm-hmm. I had to let it go, which was a great, wonderful blessing they gave me to be able to find a way to translate the truth of all of our journeys into yeah. a form that was relevant. So that I did that there. I couldn't, you know, it was not a fit for my personality being that. I would system. not think I would not think that would be sustainable just in the little time that I'm getting to know you. Yes. I went to a much more um avant, well, a much more progressive organization also for a year. And there my boss was very wise. He said, you know, Eric, you're not built for being inside an organization. He goes, I'm gonna do, here's my proposal to you. I will give you a two-year contract for 50% of your time. And you can take the other 50% of your time and build, oh. your, build a consulting business because that's what I know you want to do. Oh, my God. This guy was a gem. Are you kidding me? What a gift. What a gift. Oh, it was, it was the gift of my life, really. And I obviously said, yes, because he, he knew me. I wanted to write. I wanted to speak. I wanted to teach. And I wanted to be a free agent. You want to be your own boss. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a gift. Absolute gift. And, uh, you know, from there, many, many, many things unfolded. Uh, I've written a number of books about this question. The first was called Awakening Corporate Soul. The next was called You Are the Leader You've Been Waiting For and um, other books as well. Mm -hmm. So they were all um, ways of translating basic wisdom teachings into our human life, particularly in that case in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So all this time now, have you- Well, I I retired from that a number of years ago. Okay. And I have, I'm devoted now to- uh, 
our organization called Wisdom Heart, wisdomheart.com, where we teach the, there's less translating, I'll put it that way. Okay. It's, it's much more for the individual to awaken to their journey so they can express their gifts, whether it's in a corporation, whether it's in right. an entrepreneur, whether it's in the family, whether it's in, you know, whatever context, it's a spiritual teaching platform, essentially. Okay. So during your consulting, but this also yeah. did that for 30, 40 years or something like yeah. that. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, and you made a nice living so you could support yourself. And did you end up, mm -hmm. do you have a family besides your wife? Yeah. Oh, so two you boys. kids, two, two boys. Adults. So, you, two okay. Uh -huh. Okay. Are they on the spiritual path as well? Or do they think they you are? There? They are. How nice. How nice. Because I, I could see the kids going, what's happening here? Go ahead. But, you know, the family, we didn't push it on them. It was but you are in California, so that does help. But go ahead. Yeah. I mean, part of the ethic of, I believe, of, of the spiritual path is is modeling it more than, uh, you know, it's I, still, uh, evangelizing it. I, and so, especially to your kids. I mean, you know, you're, you're, it's a losing battle if you're going to evangelize to your kids anyway. So it doesn't matter what it is. Once they're teenagers, it's your, your yeah. SOL. So uh, you've yeah. got to have a little flexibility. But I agree. You model it. So, you know, I'm so okay. They, they both practice uh, yoga and meditation. And like the one of the younger one, why didn't you tell me to do it more often? <laughs> and we're like, really? You know? Like you would have listened? Do you remember <laughs> what you were like? <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to work. All right. So once you went into your own consulting business, did you have to do a lot of marketing or like, you know, now you have a business? I mean, well, you know, I, I did do marketing. Yes. I like marketing. I love sales because it's about having conversations with people about what matters. That's it's. Now, the, again, the culture was different back. Yes. Back then, 40 years ago, it was quite different. You, well, you were very, that was very, very new age. And But yeah. I didn't talk about it that way. I you talked about it good. as as the needs of the clients. But the, the trick is, of course, with any, the clients want what they want. Yes. But they don't even know what that is. So it's, well, we don't need to have an argument about do you need, do you want leadership? I mean, the truth is every, every client I ever had said, we want more better leadership. Right. No, they didn't really. They wanted <laughs> people to do what they wanted them to do, but that's not, that's not going to happen. Uh -huh. So I'm happy to call it leadership and then I'll invite people into a deeper conversation about. Like, like, how about what's your, how about, what if you, what if instead of that being your goal, you said, I'd like to have peace in my, in my in my company. How about that? Yeah. And let's, yeah. see, let's see where we go from there. How about that? And, and my family let, and my whatever. And let them discover that mm -hmm. and let them relanguage that for themselves. That opens the conversation for how to get there. I, so, lo I, yeah. I love what you're saying, though, about the relanguaging, because so, some of the uh, I've read like, I don't know how many I haven't read your books, but I've read a lot, a lot of spiritual books mm -hmm. in my own search and seeking. And I, I sometimes I read them and I go, why, why aren't you writing like a normal person? No one's going to read this. The, the way you're writing this is like so out there that, I mean, I, I understood what they were saying. But I, then I just closed the book. I go, this this is not for me. I always want someone, even if, you, I mean, I'm sure you know who Pema Chodron is, um, mm -hmm. the Buddhist monk. And I yeah. love her books because she writes like a normal person. I mean, oh, she's yeah. still giving you the, the Buddhist, and, and not that I'm a Buddhist, but any spiritual awakening, like, she has a book called Living with Uncertainty. I think it's her book, isn't it? Living with Uncertainty. Um, I love that book because aren't we all living with uncertainty? But that yeah. doesn't mean we still don't try to do our best to figure out what it is we're supposed to do at this exact moment. But she yeah. writes it in like normal language, I think. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Okay. And I'm going to come back to our, so the, the idea of the tension. Yes, okay. go ahead. And Emma Chodron would also echo this. It's unresolvable. That's totally. the, because this, the quest to resolve it is uh, a, is a, is a an avoidance of embracing the see, the profound creativity that's available Ex inside that tension. Ex so, this as the as my as the spiritual journey um, matures, and it's not something we can actually hack. I think that's the way it's said these days. But it's really you can't skip steps because the the, the challenges. No are inside of us. Exactly. And so, as you said, life will engineer in experiences that will provoke our awakening. Whether we like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's right. The part of us that doesn't like it is the part that wants resolution. Right. The part of us that is more, is more profound, that's in harmony with life, recognizes it's irresolvable. Right. But that, that's the source. That irresolvability is the source of all of today's Goodness. solutions. Exactly. To me, it's of all of all this. Like, well, she always says, "Quit worrying oh, about not suffering." We're, and, and she doesn't mean suffer like you're going to have some horrible disease. Though, I mean, that may happen too, but we hope not. But it's just that that that's the. I always think of when she uses the word suffering. I don't think of it as oh my god, my life. It's the inner conflict that you're describing. Yeah. I mean, and we don't just have it one time. So you don't just have a like, oh, I, I disagreed with my parents and I'm going to take a different path. That's like one step. Then sure. something else will happen whenever. And it's always going to be something if you're on the journey, because you have to always tap into like, what's the next step? And, and I don't think it's like you said, is there ever, is, it, is the suitcase on the journey ever closed? Not in my opinion. So I literally was just talking to Noah about this a little bit before. So I, I've, I have, I've also written a couple books that are published. And then I have this one book that I wrote about 25 years ago. It's kind of a memoir with a spiritual component. But in it, it I don't know, it had some things in there that, that I wasn't sure I wanted to. So I, I put it aside. And I, I wouldn't even tell you the hours I spent and the money I spent and it's just sitting there. And all of a sudden, someone who I sent the book to maybe 10 years ago called me and said, I was talking about your book to somebody and they asked if they could read it. Could you resend it? So I had to ask my husband because I'm so great at technology. You had it on your, can you just send it? So I forwarded it. She says, that was such a good book. Oops, sorry. Such a good book. W what happened to it? I went, I don't know. It's still sitting there. So I'm just putting it out there in the universe right now. I'm now thinking at this moment over this last couple of weeks, like, I don't know. So I pulled the book out. And actually, the book is called, by the way. I, I said, that was such a creative title. I was quite proud of myself. Hide or Seek, A Woman's Journey, A Woman's Journey. And then in the very beginning, I, I have the definition of hide and the definition of seek. And then I write, which I, this is over 20 years ago, I am a seeker. I hope you will be too. And I thought, this is like really good. So I'm just putting it out there. Anybody that's nice. listening, because um, I'm looking for kind of somebody to like, all right, I'll help you or whatever. But point being is, I haven't thought about this at all. And within two or three uh, weeks, two or three different things happened, including this about writing and about creativity and well, my conflict was about getting the book out 20 years ago. I feel as much more resolved now, just with time and yeah. healing and whatever. Um, and so I feel like now if I'm going to do it, now might be a great time. And I I don't need to be right. I don't need, I, it's like I don't, I don't need to do extra. I don't, 
but I feel like I should. So, or like I want to, or something's going on. Yeah. There's something happening. So I'm just putting it out there that I don't, I don't know where this is going to go, but I think to not listen to me is, and I don't know what I'm ultimately going to choose because we always do hear free will, but I feel to not at least listen and give it some attention is not, it's not following whatever this is, which I don't even know. And that's the other thing I like to say. Sometimes we just don't know. And if you trust that it means something, then you'll figure it out. And even if it means like, yeah, now I thought about it, I'm still not going to do it, then okay. But I'm not sure that's what I'm going to find out. So I th- so point being is, is there always some kind of tension? And with that tension comes creativity. And really the essence of, of when I, and I use the word creativity, I'm not even talking about a painter or writer, though no, it could be all. that too. No. I'm talking about your own unique talents of whatever that might be to use them, you know, fully. So I know you know what I'm, you get what I'm saying. All right, so this was really, everything you're saying, you're so calm. I can see why you're good at your spiritual yoga and your healing. So if you had, so if you had, before we end, if you had, thank you so also for being so open. If if you had like a, a something you'd want to say to the listener who's struggling, like, I feel like I'm hearing my voice or I know that I'm not in the right situation. Any mm-hmm. thoughts to help them like, whatever, listen and try to figure out what their purpose is. But most importantly, I think, be aware of this tension and take the leap anyways. I would say take a step. Take a step. It will feel, it will feel like a leap. Ah, I like a leap. A leap is not an objective thing. A okay. leap is a subjective experience. True. So make, t- leaning into the, the discomfort the small lean is is a huge leap. Love it. And as you lean, you build your capacity to lean further. Okay. So this is, again, it's important. Yes, you're going to have to leap, but it's not something that's been, the leap is an inner uh, willingness and an inner okay. And an inner uh, consent to your deeper nature to say, I'm going to take this small step. Okay. Just FYI, listeners, I'm no longer going to use the word take a leap. I'm going to say take a step. I love it. That's a much better language. I can see why you're probably a very good teacher. Um, because that makes it'll it feel more... like a leap. That's I the important part. <laughs> but it's more manageable. Just what you're saying about relanguaging. It's yeah. more manageable if you think I'm going to take a step. So even when I'm just sharing my own thing about this book, the first thing I did was write it freehand. I just did it like, do you know who, you know, Julia Cameron and the artist way. So she always says, start with three pages a day. So I did three pages a day. This is over maybe 25 years ago. And I thought, I'm just writing. I'm not going to worry about editing. I can't read my handwriting. I'm just going to write it until I'm done. And that took me about, I'd say four months of doing that. Not seven days a week, but maybe four or five days a week. Then I had to find somebody to type it up for me who could read my handwriting because I'm a horrible typist and I didn't want to sit at a computer for hours. I found somebody. I don't know how she read my handwriting because when I tell you I did it free, I did it free because I didn't want I thought I was so busy trying to organize the book. I went, don't organize it. Just write it. So that's what I did. Then she wrote it on and now I had a manuscript. Then I had to find someone to organize it a little bit better for. I did some of it. I had I had to ultimately do some of it um, on the computer. Um, and then I found another person, another person. And then now I feel I have to write an epilogue because the book was written 20 years ago. So I got to do like a little, I will have to do some of that. But I've already thought I'm going to get a transcriber. I'm going to read it that way. I mean, uh, like a micro, not, you know, like a whatever. Um, and then I'll have the, 
for whoever type it up or or get a program. I just find that the programs maybe they're better now where you talk into it and it and then yeah. it comes out writing. It's always wrong, and then I have to redo the whole thing. So I'd rather just have a professional do it. But point being is, every little step has gotten me a little bit closer to like, okay, this might actually go out into the world. So I love that about a step. And and again, did I think that this was going to be my purpose forty years ago? No. Matter of fact, I'll never forget the very first astrologer I went to because I've always been in this. He said to me. So maybe I was 23. I mean, really young. I was a teacher. I was married. All I wanted to do was have a baby. But I still was questioning things. He goes, have you ever thought about writing a book? I went, no. He goes, well, let me tell you, you're probably going to write three or four in your lifetime. I went, okay, this guy's away. Meanwhile, all that is true because I've written two self-help books and a children's book. And now this book, so I've really written four books. So you just never know. But I love that about the step. So Thank you, Eric, so much for sharing. You. So you're, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the website again say is wisdom? Wisdomheart.com. Okay, wisdomheart.com. Okay, I finish every episode with a little quote. And um, here's my quote that I picked out, which, you know, I pick out not knowing what, where this is going to go. So I always kind of, I always say this, but it is the truth. Okay. Um, I actually have two. I might have to read both of them. All right, here's one. Discovering your purpose is the most significant thing you will do in your life. And you, your loved ones, and the world will be better off because you went on this journey. Okay, and that's by Mason Kipp, Claim Your Own Power. And then this one, know your life purpose is the first step toward living a truly conscious life. A life purpose provides us with a clear goal and a set potential finish line that you will want to reach in your heart and soul. By I don't know who somebody's told what is my purpose. But anyways, it kind of puts us what we were kind of talking about. Um, I think wraps it up. All right, Eric, thank you so, so much. Well, a pleasure. It was a really thank good. You. I'm glad. Thank you for being so open and so wise. You have like this whole wise energy about you. It's very oh, nice. I like it. <laughs> All right. All right. This is Janice Alpert. I hope you enjoyed listening to On Purpose and hope you're doing your Uh, self-reflection with purpose and um, that you may find your purpose and even do it on purpose. So until next time, thanks. Bye-bye.